Norman J. Beauchamp, Jr., M.D., is back on MSU today. He's Michigan State University's Executive Vice President for Health Sciences, and he's supporting MSU's community response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Spartans Athletic Director Bill Beekman is here with me to welcome Norm back to the program. Dr. Beauchamp, good to have you on again. Russ, thanks for having me uh, back, and Bill, thank you as well. Well, great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Norm, on MSU today, uh, this afternoon. It's uh, it's exciting to, to have you on in the midst of all of this uh, uh, very uh, unique and, uh, you know, really world-altering uh, times we're in. Um, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, some, some people may not be aware that, uh, when you came to, to Michigan state, you came from, uh, you came to us from the Seattle area. And, uh, and so I'm guessing that, uh, many of your friends and colleagues were, uh, were in the, in the very first wave of, of all this activity that, that occurred at least in part in Seattle, um, were there things that uh, that maybe you learned before most of us being in touch with uh, with old friends in that region of the country? Yeah, Bill, that's a great uh, observation and question. You know, I grew up uh, locally, but spent 14 years in Seattle right before I came here. And what I had the opportunity to do was to observe the impact of COVID-19 on the Seattle community. And a few of the things that I observed that gave an important heads up was first that the personal protective equipment uh, quickly became too short in supply to protect healthcare workers. The second thing I observed was that their, their health systems became overwhelmed with the need to set up community-based um, hospital um, facilities. And so the idea was, how could we be ready? How could we be ready if we were to face those? And what resulted was myself and a number of MSU colleagues and community colleagues came together to, to figure out ways that we could source personal protective equipment, how we could work together to decontaminate personal protective equipment, uh, as well as looking at field hospitals uh, in case that would be needed. So it was, uh, in fact, you know, almost daily contact from the moment that uh, COVID-19 became clear that it was striking the Seattle community so that MSU could help our community be prepared for what we would be facing. And it seems like we've... Uh... We at MSU have done some very, uh, very innovative and interesting things uh, from uh, from having a, a process that uh, where where we literally uh, bake the masks, uh, put them in an oven uh, to to decontaminate masks for reuse when uh, in those instances where maybe there aren't enough uh, fresh masks available uh, or. Uh, or, or I, I heard that uh, that one of our great uh, Grand Rapids faculty members, uh, uh, Dr. Jack Lipton, had been uh, at the forefront of of creating an innovative uh, testing model. Can you uh, can you can you share some of those details with us? Yeah, you bet, Bill. One of the joys of this this moment in seeking joy, right, 
is is seeing the the really the goodness and compassion that comes out across MSU and its commitment to serve and its sense of urgency to respond. And the first topic you mentioned, which is there's a type of mask called an N95 mask, and it it's what is used for frontline workers trying to protect themselves from the virus. And those became in short supply. And so what MSU faculty did is they they really surveyed what, what was possible. And Jeff Dwyer in extension observed that there was a study at Stanford where you could use heat to decontaminate the masks. And he and some of his amazing colleagues in extension realized that they could use their spiral oven to heat the masks and decontaminate them. And as MSU then said, well, how can we rally to get this done? What was inspiring was the all hands on deck approach. And it resulted in EHS coming together to look at the process. Our our Department of Supply Chain in the College of Business stepped up to look at how do you do the workflows of getting a mask from a hospital partner at Sparrow to the decontamination and back. We had people from our Department of uh, our College of Engineering look to see was the integrity of the mask uh, maintained. And then we worked side by side with Sparrow to to fill out the paperwork, to attain an expedited use authorization from the FDA. You know, we followed a similar path. Uh, Claire Hankinson, who's the university veterinarian, when she identified that it was possible to use vaporized hydrogen peroxide as another way to both sterilize the masks as well as other uh, equipment such as gowns. And once again, convening strengths across the university to be able to, to bring that uh, to, to the floor. And we've been recognized both in the state and the nation for this effort. And one of the really compelling things was that the solution of baking the mass, for example, is something that can serve the entire state because, as you can imagine, there are similar uh, ovens uh, available in communities, and it's consistent with the mission of extension. Another piece you touched on, Bill, was the creativity around testing. And if we're going to be successful in overcoming COVID-19 and having people return to work and students back to school in a safe fashion, it's going to be being able to test. And there's two types of tests that we need to do. The first is to be able to detect active infection. It's referred to as virologic testing. We need to be able to rapidly identify new cases, rule out infections and contacts, and determine when people can return back to work or school. And it was with the recognition that there was inadequate access to testing that individuals like Jack Lipton, individuals like uh, we have in our College of Veterinary Medicine said, we can create uh, these tests. We can, 
We know how to do the PCR method. Let's develop it. Let's get it approved and make it scalable. And so what's happening across the campuses now is a very rapid response and the ability to be able to test, which I feel will be essential in really, the, again, the return to school, the return to work. And maybe in summarizing, what's really come clear is the role of our universities in our nation to help respond to challenges because it's where the heart of innovation lies and and that's really what we've seen across our university is coming together with innovation to solve challenges that need required response and in in an immediate time frame norm you touched on something that uh uh having spent my entire career at msu i i really uh haven't experienced personally but Whenever we interview uh, candidates, or I've participated in interviewing candidates uh, for senior leadership roles at the university, and then they they end up coming uh, to Michigan State, uh, one of the things that they always comment on after they've been here a while is the extraordinary, extraordinarily collaborative nature of Michigan State. And well, I think probably uh, at, at every higher education uh, institution, you find uh, you know pockets of silos or things like that. Uh, I think the one the one message I hear loud and clear from from so many of our faculty that I interact with is that uh, they they came to Michigan State because those silos really didn't exist. And if you were a person in engineering, you could collaborate with a person in vet med or 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 our human medicine colleges without any uh, without any real difficulty or barriers and. And that, to me, is one of the inspiring things about some of the comments you've made. You see activity in the College of Human Medicine, the College of Veterinary Medicine, uh, our extension uh, services, and uh, and all of those folks uh, interacting with one another, sharing ideas, uh, and um, and really for the for the betterment of our community and and society at large. And uh, and I, I think that's uh, one of the things that I've always taken from. Uh, from the Michigan State experience is uh, one, one of our great uh, uh, successes is the ability uh, to allow people to or, or create uh, create opportunities for people to collaborate where uh, where they might not otherwise exist. And so uh, I, you started your, your comments to the last question uh, you're talking about the about opportunities for joy. And I think that uh, uh, although there have been so many tragic circumstances that have come about as a result of this virus, there are also uh, threads of of joy and uh, and threads of strength and possibility that we'll be able to uh, to work with going forward. That will make us uh, a stronger institution and a stronger community and uh, and and hopefully a stronger society. I had uh, one one other uh, question that really uh, has me curious uh, as a, as a layperson, and you know when you watch uh, the television networks and and people talk about uh, how there will we'll we'll get through this, but we'll get through this, and there will be a new normal, and we'll be grappling with uh, with the after effects of this and second waves and and all of those kinds of things. Uh, the the commentators make clear that. 
this this really isn't going away anytime soon. And the ultimate solution, hopefully, would be a vaccine. And uh, and yet I, I learned uh, uh, earlier today in a conversation with our Big Ten athletic directors, uh, and we had an expert uh, from the University of Nebraska on the phone, uh, uh, Dr. Chris Cradiville, and he was sharing that the uh, the fastest vaccine that had ever been approved in the United States, if I'm recalling correctly, was uh, was mumps that was a, a four-year process. And of course, we're desperately hoping that uh, that something uh, uh, quicker happens in this case. And and uh, you know, I think the, the improvements in technology and science and, and those kinds of things give us some hope that that might be the case. But could you talk a little bit about uh, why it takes so long and and the the process that uh, that we lay people may not understand for getting from uh, from idea to vaccine you bet one of the the challenges in developing a vaccine is vaccines first their viruses are very tricky right part of how they do their damage is they enter into the cell and in entering into the cell in order to attack the virus you often have to injure the cell in which it's entered and it's those cells right that make up who we are as individuals so it it becomes a challenge to go after the virus and yet not do it in a way that doesn't injure the host, if you will. In thinking about the creation of a virus uh, treatment with a vaccine, particularly in the instance of coronavirus, what we have to think about is that when we look at mumps, for example, or measles, it's pretty clear that individuals develop an, an antibody response that persists. And when it persists, that gives you confidence that you develop a lasting immunity. And it's that lasting immunity that you can essentially model that allows a, a vaccine to work. So put another way, you introduce something that's similar to the virus, but doesn't infect the individual. And it causes the human to develop an antibody response that then when the actual virus shows up, the, the antibodies are there. With other viral diseases, think about uh, influenza. Why do we have to get a shot every year? It's because the influenza virus modifies slightly and it doesn't confer a long-lasting or complete immunity. And at least at this point, it appears that the COVID-19 uh, may act more like the influenza virus than mumps or measles. So maybe that touches a bit on, Bill, the, the difficulty of first in treating a virus, and then second, that all viruses aren't the same in terms of the ability to develop a vaccine. And then the maybe the the another really important point is in taking time to develop the vaccine, it really is that we need to demonstrate that it's safe. 
in individuals. And that requires time. That requires administering it enough in individuals, being able to first show that it's safe and then showing that it's effective. Now, do I, I think it'll take three to four years. I'm more optimistic than that. My hope is that something like uh, an effective vaccine, assuming that it is possible to generate lasting immunity, which I believe it is, um, would be closer to 18 months. Now, when we think about 18 months, right, that quickly then takes us to our path to bringing people back is going to be best practices in terms of social distancing, um, hand hygiene, uh, wearing masks where appropriate. Well, hopefully our, uh, our, our new normal will, uh, will, will be part of a process that, uh, uh, that gets us to a vaccine and, uh, and a little, a little closer to our old normal. But, uh, but I, I think the, uh, the good news is that, uh, there are so many people both at Michigan state and at, uh, at, at institutions around the world that are uh, feverishly working to, uh, to, to find that, that, uh, that the, the right, the right codes, uh, and, uh, and processes to get that vaccine in place. And, uh, and so I think with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that, uh, with the amount of, uh, of work and energy that is now directed at this, um, we will, uh, we'll hopefully find something, uh, sooner than, than even we anticipate now. Yeah, Bill. And if I can, you know, what I would say is that our capacity to create diagnostic tests are on a, a scale that we haven't seen before, as we've talked about in the matter of a month, you know, three different groups on campus coming up with ways to develop diagnostic tests. We have another faculty who's using artificial intelligence to look at every drug that has been FDA approved and model if that could be effective in treating the virus. The technology now to do contact tracing, you know, exists on cell phones. So the armamentarium to fight this virus and to protect people is is so much more advanced than you know what we've seen when you know dealing with SARS and MERS and other viruses you know even a decade ago so that's very encouraging another thing about the new normal is you know when it comes to telemedicine right it's been something that has been sought after in healthcare, but we, there wasn't maybe the wherewithal to put it in place. And we, you know, here at MSU in a matter of a week, trained 200 plus practitioners to be able to provide care through telemedicine. And to some extent, the new normal, right, is, is what, what better serve, could have better served people for a long time in our nation. You know, as we look at education, you know, we brought up 140 online classes in a couple of weeks here for our students. And when I think about the new normal, do I believe that in the fall 
Some more of our classes than in the past will be developed online. Yes, I think that whatever we do, there'll be, you know, we should be prepared for a hybrid uh, approach in the fall in this in this new normal. But I do think on the other side of the urgent response, we'll end up having approaches that are more equitable, that are more patient and family centered and can bring education in healthcare to more people in more regions. So again, you can see, you know, I look to, you know, I'm an optimist by nature. Um, and, and I do think on the other side of the, the new normal, if you will, will be better serving all people. And, and if, if the virus has shed light on anything, it has been that we still have a distance to go in addressing disparities uh, in our in our nation. Yeah, very, very, uh, very, very interesting. And uh, Norm, one of the uh, uh, one of the things I think people always find interesting and may may find more interesting in uh, in the context of our current environment. Uh, everybody's been been told they they need to stay at home if at all possible. So. Uh, so many of us are, uh, are are working from home, and and I think probably some folks have uh, you know it, it just circumstances uh, are such that there there isn't a lot for them to do. Uh, I think of uh, in athletics some of our event planning team because you know, they're just we we just don't have a whole lot of events to staff up right now, but uh, but other folks are are swamped and and uh, and probably as busy as as they've ever been. And, and I'm guessing that you fall into that latter category. So um, in, a, in a sort of shorthand way, how do you, uh, what, what are the kinds of things that, uh, that are keeping you busy these days? And as the, uh, really the, the, chief, uh, the chief physician at Michigan State University, uh, uh, in this context, I assume you're just uh, pulled, uh, pulled in every direction. How, how, are you, uh, how are you spending your day these days? One of the key things is uh, to surround yourself with people smarter than you in domains, support them, listen to them. Uh, and, and so that's been a, a key uh, strategy. I work closely, as you know, with Tony Avellino, who helps so much with uh, student athlete health. I, you know, I work with the deans of, you know, the four health colleges, vet med, CHM, COM, uh, CHM, CVM, excuse me, and extension. And a lot of what we've been doing is coming together to find ways to, you know, make sure that we can continue to educate our students, that we can keep our practitioners safe as we provide care. And then it's also working side by side with our university physician, Dave Wisemantle, who, you know, has done such a nice job in terms of thinking about the public health sides of COVID and how it's affecting MSU. A lot of our work has been, you know, what, how you prioritize you know, use of resources like like PPE. And now, uh, Bill, what, you know, we've seen probably in the last week is this shift from, you know, phase one was how do we endure the tsunami that will hit us with COVID-19? And now it's, 
in a way pivoting to how do we bring you know the university back online to serve our students to uh, em- enable our faculty and staff to serve in their missions and so in fact later today we're bringing together a group that will uh, focus on that that very thing and it's representatives from across the university on a daily basis you know there's a huddle with the president the provost other leaders on campus again to be responsive to things as they present in a dynamic way and then there's also the meetings that we're having with MSU Healthcare as we look at ways that we could be more responsive, whether that was drive up testing for individuals that might have COVID-19 or um, thinking about how we you know, could find a way to help some of our students potentially be able to report to their health systems sooner. Uh, our fourth years, both in nursing and in the medical schools to help meet what could be the need to have additional practitioners. So maybe most succinctly, Bill, it's been to, to keep your my ear to the ground, to try to anticipate, to try to be preemptive, proactive, and, and bring people together to find solutions. And then maybe lastly, one lastly, lastly, forgive me, is... What I believe Michigan State University is uniquely positioned to do is to be a convener in the university because we are in so many counties, because we have built trusting relationships, a role that that we have been able to play and that I felt uh, was imperative to help catalyze was working with groups like LEAP which is, you know, community business leaders working with the right place in West Michigan and helping see what role could MSU play in bringing different groups together to to be responsive. Well, Norm, I can't uh, thank you enough for uh, for joining us today in the, uh, the midst of your uh, extraordinarily busy schedule as a person uh, at MSU who is really at the epicenter of uh, of, of dealing through it with and working through the situation and uh, working so hard uh, on behalf of all of us to, to get things uh, to this new, new normal where we're all uh, uh, feeling uh, safe and, uh, and, and in a better place. And so, uh, so thank you for all you do. I, uh, uh, many people may not be aware that uh, the early part of my career at Michigan state was spent in the medical schools. And so I've, had an opportunity to work with uh, with many of the people we've mentioned over the years, and uh, and it gives me great great hope and promise uh, that uh, that we will get get to that better place soon. Because uh, uh, although I'm uh, I'm not a physician myself, I've always been extraordinarily impressed with the uh, the individuals at our our medical schools and uh, and across our healthcare operation and. And the work that they do is is truly cutting edge. And, and I think sometimes uh, people that live in your own backyard are kind of the the last people to get recognition. And uh, and so it's uh, it's been a, a joy to have have you on our our program here to share some of that message and what we're doing at Michigan State and uh, and how it truly is changing the world. So thank you very much.
Yeah, thank you, Bill and 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 Russ. And yeah, maybe as a final comment would just be for me to give such a thank you to all the courageous individuals who are out there every day taking care of folks in all the ways that they do, whether it's it's healthcare, it's it's keeping our facilities up, whether it's our first responders, it it really has been so many amazing people in so many ways. So it is, it's a privilege to be a part of MSU. And thanks for what you both are doing to bring a message of hope uh, to people. Really appreciate it. Norm, if you would close with that too, because you said the word I was just going to bring up in our last conversation, you talked about hope and you talked about the appropriate kind of optimism. I wonder if you might leave us in a hopeful place about the importance of hope and doing the things we need to do to shorten this as much as possible. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Russ, for giving me the chance to comment on that. You know, I, you know, this is an incredibly stressful time. People, you know, being quarantined, being isolated, you know, the economic injuries, the the loss of life. And and yet there's there's reason for optimism as we're starting to see the case numbers flatten. And what I I want to share is that the ability to be optimistic, to have hope, is is to be thoughtful and recognize that what is working is the social distancing, is being thoughtful about personal hygiene. It's it's really adhering to the guidance that we're getting about you know, staying at home and proceeding in that fashion. And so I I want optimism that is based in a recognition that we do have a path, it is working, but not have an optimism that leads people to dismiss the guidance that is leading to the flattening of the curve with COVID virus. That was Michigan State University's Executive Vice President for Health Sciences, Dr. Norman J. Beauchamp, Jr., MD, talking with Spartans Athletic Director Bill Beekman, and I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.